I'm your host, Olivia, and this is Troubled Minds. Hey guys, welcome to Troubled Minds. It's a brand new podcast designed to give you a look into the psychology behind America's most infamous. If you have any feedback, questions, concerns, requests, or anything like that, you can go ahead and contact me at troubledmindsthepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to find my sources, you can visit the links in the description. I'm going to provide a trigger warning for discussion of violent events and child abuse. Welcome to episode one, The Co-Ed Killer. If you're a fan of true crime like I am, then you've probably already heard of Edmund Kemper, the co-ed killer. He's pretty popular in the media. I know there are a lot of documentaries out there on him, most notably Mind of a Monster. He's also been featured as a character in Mindhunter, the book and television series. So Edmund Kemper was born on December 18th of 1948 to a mother who supposedly hated him. She was a known alcoholic and sufferer of borderline personality disorder. Now, borderline personality disorder is characterized by mood swings and intense emotional instability, so people with borderline personality disorder naturally experience quickly shifting emotions, which sometimes results in impulsive behavior or difficulty maintaining relationships. Borderline personality disorder is actually considered to be one of the most difficult personality disorders to live with, along with one of the most difficult mental disorders to live with, which kind of provides an explanation for the way that she treated him. Kemper told a lot of stories after his arrest about how his mother verbally abused and neglected him growing up. She repeatedly told him that he was worthless, that no woman would ever love him, and reportedly accused him of being at fault for all of her personal issues. She also constantly mocked his stature, as he was very tall and eventually reached six foot nine. She also forced him into the basement at night to sleep out of fear that he might hurt his sisters. Now, as terrible as this is, it does kind of make sense with her condition, because borderline personality disorder is known to result in unusually heightened levels of paranoia. However, Edmund Kemper definitely played a hand in this with his disturbing childhood behavior. So as most serial killers do, he was known to kill animals at a young age, such as their house cats. He would often play dark games with his sisters, usually revolving around death somehow. These games reached from something he called gas chamber, where he pretended to die a slow and painful death in a gas chamber while blindfolded, to making unnerving gestures with his sister's Barbies. He also talked about killing a teacher when he was in elementary school, which his family found very alarming. So Edmund's relationship with his mother, paired with his natural inclination to be violent, is generally what's presumed to be the driving force behind his murders. As a teenager, Kemper moved frequently. After living with his mother his entire life, he was sent to live with his father, but when that didn't work out, he went back to his mother's house, and then out of desperation, she eventually shipped him off to live with his grandparents in another part of California. This is where Kemper's life of murder begins. So Kemper continued to kill small animals on the farm, which was much to his grandparents' disapproval, but it did not stop there. Kemper wanted to know what it felt like to kill a person. So Kemper's first murder was actually the murder of his grandmother. Freshly angry after fighting with his grandmother, Kemper shot her while she sat at the kitchen table. Kemper then shot his grandfather when he returned home from the grocery store. He was only 15 at the time, so he was scared and he didn't know what to do. He ended up calling his mom back in Burbank and then the police, which eventually led to Kemper in a mental hospital. This is where he learned the skill of persuasion. Kemper is considered a genius with an IQ of 136. Over time, Kemper became a favorite among the hospital staff. Kemper manipulated his way into being let go by his psychologist and having his record sealed. That was when he was sent to live with his mother. It's really important to note that while in psychiatric care, he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. This is going to be important later. Kemper eventually found a job and began attending college. Kemper's smartest decision was befriending the local police officers. So he ended up gaining access to a bunch of useful supplies, such as a badge, handcuffs, and a gun. 
After hurting his arm in a motorcycle wreck, Kemper found himself out of work. It was the 70s and it was California, so hitchhiking was becoming a popular means of transportation. This is when Kemper began to plan murdering hitchhikers. Two young women, Mary Ann Pesci and Anita Lucchessa, were his first set of co-ed murders. Kemper stabbed and strangled the two young women before decapitating them in his apartment, his disturbing signature. Kemper liked to keep the corpses of his victims for his own personal convenience. The women were reportedly missing until Pesci's head was found in the woods. Kemper continued to murder hitchhikers with the same pattern. Pick up, kill, take back to apartment, entertain with the bodies. He also partook in necrophilia and cannibalism with some of the corpses, including cooking a portion of a young woman's brain after a double murder. He later told authorities that he, quote, just wanted to know what it tasted like. One of Kemper's eight murders included Cindy Shaw, a young Californian college student. On January 7, 1973, Shaw stood on the side of the road. Kemper saw her and he pulled over and offered to take her to her destination, but they never got that far. Kemper shot her after threatening her into the trunk of his car, and then he took her body back home to where he was living with his mother at the time. This next part is what he's most well-known and feared for. Kemper, famously stating that his mother, quote, had always wanted people to look up to her, continued to dig a hole in his mother's garden and buried the decapitated head of victim Cindy Shaw facing upwards towards his mother's bedroom. Kemper continued to claim hitchhiking victims until he finally decided that he was done and things had to come to an end. His final decision was to kill his mother. On April 20th of 1973, he waited for his mother to fall asleep and then entered her room in the middle of the night and beat her to death with a hammer. This was by far the most violent of any of the murders that he had committed. He then continued to, in the words of Kemper, quote, humiliate her corpse. The details of what this is referring to are too gruesome to discuss on the podcast. Kemper decapitated her, yelled at her corpse, and then destroyed her larynx as an act of retaliation against the way that she had spoken to him when he was growing up. He later invited his mother's best friend, Sally Hallett, over to his mother's house. When she came to meet him, he strangled her. Kemper then turned himself over to the police on the 23rd. Now that you know about the what, it's time to talk about the why. Kemper was very open about his crimes, discussing in full detail how he violated his victims to the authorities and the media. What I find so interesting about Kemper is the fact that he knew what he was doing was wrong and he didn't necessarily want it to happen to his victims. He stated that he believed he should be sentenced to death by torture and he felt remorse. During his parole hearing, he stated, I don't want to set a precedent of being a person two times released after multiple murders. I don't want to hurt anybody ever again. When you're reading up on serial killers, you rarely see people who are unhappy with the fate of their victims. When Kemper spoke to the police, he explained the events leading up to the murder of his mother. He said that he decided to stop killing hitchhikers because they should not have to die for his relationship with his mom and that he and his mom are the only people who should have to suffer. He said he knew that if he didn't kill his mother, he wouldn't be able to stop killing others who were not tied to his motive. He ultimately blamed the deaths on his mother, stating that her parenting style is what killed the young girls who died by his hand. One of the many things that sets Kemper apart from other serial killers is the fact that he was technically not considered a sadist. While others, such as the Night Stalker, enjoyed the pain of their victims, Kemper made sure that all of his victims faced a very quick death with little suffering, often strangling his victims or shooting them in the head. All of Kemper's activities, such as necrophilia and cannibalism, took place with their corpses after death. This can be explained by Kemper's need for control. Kemper was stripped of control by his mother and his self-worth was constantly beaten down. Kemper had full control of the lifeless corpses of his victims, which made up for the lack of control he had in his life. He talked about how he, quote, was making life and death decisions, playing God in their lives. Kemper didn't want hitchhikers to suffer that didn't bring him any sort of enjoyment or excitement. It's almost as if he was trying to soothe an emotional wound. 
Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Kemper experienced no excitement from killing, just not from suffering. It's time to revisit Kemper's relationship with the police. When he was hospitalized, Kemper learned how to befriend and fool authority. He ended up playing a very convincing role of the gentle giant and easily made his way into the inner circle of officers. He would visit local businesses with the intention of hanging out with officers that were known to visit those areas. In fact, the very officers that he had befriended originally refused to believe him and thought that he was joking when he turned himself in. This not only aided him in the prevention of being caught, but also gave him the satisfaction of knowing that he is in power by hearing about his crimes from the competition. It is believed that knowing he was successfully fooling the very people trying to stop him was also part of his encouragement to kill. I also want to go ahead and talk about Edmund's diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia. There's actually very little known about this diagnosis. It wasn't discussed in the media. The details are pretty unknown. Mercedes Tylston, Kemper's social worker at Atascadero State Hospital, stated that although Kemper was tranquilized, he continued to exhibit behaviors indicating anxiousness and difficulty focusing. While he struggled with paranoia and agitation, she still claimed that he was, quote, in touch with reality. It is believed today that this was a misdiagnosis. He was not truly schizophrenic, just paranoid. This makes Kemper's story of very confusing. His inability to stop himself from murder, but ability to feel remorse is what makes Kemper so difficult to understand. Kemper himself stated, I knew long before I started killing that I was going to be killing, that it was going to end up like that. The fantasies were too strong. They were going on for too long and they were too elaborate. But on the other hand, he also admitted to feeling horribly upset after the murder of his mother. It's difficult to understand exactly what had drove him to murder, or more importantly, what he had that prevented him from controlling his murderous impulses. Maybe Kemper was just a mentally disturbed man who didn't want to hurt people but couldn't contain his urges, or maybe he was just smart enough to convince people that he was. But there might just be something else wrong with him entirely. It is still unknown to this day exactly what was wrong with Edmund Kemper. Thanks for listening to episode one, The Co-Ed Killer. Please make sure to contact me at troubledmindsthepodcast at gmail.com if you have any feedback, questions, concerns, or requests. Stay tuned for the next episode. I'll see you then.